Aloha! This is Dr. Tiki, and I'm listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm glad to hear that you are too. It is TalkCast 116, and it's swords and, and women and chain mail and, and swords. Deep in Area 51, playing with the swords, because that's what I do. I am the Dome, joining the TalkCast tonight of the usual suspects. In the revered time vortex, snarky girl, chain mail herself, Kriana. I personally don't like to play with swords. I like cups a lot better. Just saying. <laughs> From the stacks of her personal silent zone in the dark dungeon forge room, it's a girl with a sword. Zombrarian. No. Forge room? What? With sure, a why sword? Not? I'm so confused. Everyone's confused. He just said he had a sword. And, of course, from the outpost Gallifrey Nymphomaniac, catch and release sword and sorcery center in Worcester, Massachusetts, Dr. Dinosaur's favorite fiend, Awake by Java. Science? I, I, that was last week's opening. Yeah, I know. I, I just kind of left that. Wow, there. lazy. Also, yeah. since when is Java in Worcester? Uh, I moved him around. What can I tell you? I, you know, I've appeared in so many places during Dome's openings. I don't even, I don't even keep track anymore. But I've got a big uh, board on my wall where I used to keep track, and it's got pins all over the place. <laughs> It's the acupuncture of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Joining us tonight is a wonderful author, back for her second appearance with us to talk about her new book, Risa Nelson. And she'll be with us in our second half hour. <laughs> Uh-oh. Risa. She's muted. I know. Oh, well. So That's we need okay. to take more cookies. Notes. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? We're missing the dead redhead and Illustrator X tonight, and guys, we'll see you next week. But that just means I get to do this week's poll. And the poll this week was, what's the best science fiction movie of 2011? Sombrarian? What? What oh, is I it? I thought you were going to do it. <laughs> uh, it clearly wasn't Super 8, contrary to the poll. It clearly is Super 8, which was a fine movie. Guys, do we need to talk? No, we don't. Inception was number two. Captain America was number three. Clearly, I didn't campaign hard enough for Thor. Clearly. I didn't campaign hard enough for Cowboys. Although, I think that that campaign was doomed (laughs) from the very beginning. What is wrong with Thor? What is so wrong with Thor's muscles? I don't know if I would call Thor a sci-fi. Uh, actually, I would call Thor a sci-fi. He's totally sci-fi. He, interdimensional travels. How much more sci-fi do you need to freaking be? 
Uh, if Tintin no. gets to be sci-fi, no, Tintin or, is not. Tintin sci-fi. is just fucking let's, stupid. You know, no, let's not even bother with, you know, an animated kid, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. Nancy right? is right. He's a oh freaking Nancy with his stupid yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. even likes this shit? I can say that because Illustrator X is not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm gonna watch Tintin at some point and. Then shoot I yourself. Will, I will have an opinion on it. I'm sure you I'm will. Sure you will. And I have an opinion on a lot of things. Your opinion. <laughs> yeah. I always have an opinion. I have to have an opinion, or else I cease to exist. Because really, I'm not even here. And there is one thing that uh, we can all hope was also not going to be here, but it is, and it that's Iron Man three. Yeah. Yeah. As if Iron Man 1 and 2 weren't bad enough. In which Iron the Iron Man franchise slowly deflates like a souffle in a cupboard. Can it be any worse than the Sherlock Holmes franchise? <laughs> yes, yes it can. Hey, you know, there was a while there where Robert Downey Jr. was just like pulling out blockbuster hits. But you know what? Mm-mm, not happening. And he's not, he's not Sherlock. That belongs to Cumberbatch. <laughs> and it's just too much fun to say Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh Here, here's the, here's Benedict the Cumberbatch! Benedict Cumberbatch! <laughs> Careful. Sorry. <laughs> here's, the, here's the wonderful quote. I'll Benedict your Cumberbatch. He's never going to be on the show. I think we have the opportunity with the third one to make the best of three. And maybe one of the best superhero movies that's ever been made. I will say this. People freaking love. I just got tea on my monitor. Damn it, Dome. (laughs) People do. People freaking love Iron Man. And uh, they sell the crap out of it. So that's cool. And and, and if they want to make another one, bring it on. Who knows? Maybe it's going to be a thing like Star Trek and it's going to be the odd ones or whatever. I still can't get over Spock making out with Uhura. Why not? I don't know. Like, I can get over blowing up Vulcan, believe it or not. But there are just two things I just can't get over, and that's Spock making out with Uhura and the stupid guy who played McCoy. Like, oi. Well, guess what? The real one. They're going to be back. <laughs> uh, as if that wasn't obvious. But J.J. Abrams did But with Benedict Cumberpatch! <laughs> He's in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and is apparently phenomenal. Okay, can we so, talk about the name? not a sci-fi movie, I think that people, someone should go see it and tell me their opinion. Can we talk um, about the name of that movie being Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Soldier it's based, Spy? It's based and, on a like, book. And, and, book. And the book Just, is fantastic. The book is terrific, but yada yada. And I think it's the movie looks terrific. like it too, but we're getting off track because it's totally not sci-fi. And, and we are talking Star Trek, which means that we should probably mention that J.J. Abrams started spouting off this week. He has to be back in the news because his new uh, series Alcatraz is coming out soon. And oh, so he's got to, you know, make sure his name's in the news. So he started talking about uh, Star Trek 2. Awesome. It does look awesome. Um, but he started talking about Star Trek 2. Um, and it's going to be shot on film because... He wanted to shoot it in anamorphic, and then it'll be post-converted to 3D. No! What? That's yeah. the worst possible idea ever. The The thing was that he didn't want to do it in 3D, um, but the studio said, you're going to do it in 3D. Um, <gasps> but 
bastards! We need to write a strongly worded letter. Well, I, I mean, think those you'll, bastards be able, you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to see it in 2D because that's when it's going to be shot on. But um, the the thing was that he he actually said the 3D looks pretty cool. I think that that's just him saying what the studio wants him to stay, say. So um, I'm going to... Yeah, I think that's making the best of a bad situation. Yeah. Actually, the best thing that he said was that Shatner's not going to be in it. Oh, thank God. Sweet. <laughs> he confirmed Speaking that no 3D, original actors also, will appear. Good old Billy that Shatner. Need to be in 3D. Um, I don't know if it's a good segue yet. that Beauty and the Beast is coming back to theaters tomorrow. And that was they're a week. going to put it in 3D, and I'm so sad. Yeah. Um, it looks because horrible. it's the best I... movie in the history of the World Dome, and they're going to ruin it with 3D. Why? What makes you say that? I think, you know, well, an animated feature like that is actually made for 3D. No, it's and, not. And it wasn't made thing... for 3D. That's the point of it sucking in 3D. The thing about Beauty and the Beast was that it was one of the first Disney movies that actually used uh, CGI to do some of the scenes and that's why they're they're converting it because they can do it easily but they're also converting the hand-drawn stuff um into 3d and i saw the preview in the theater when i went to see i don't know some other movie that i don't care about um <laughs> and it looked horrible are they going to ruin horrible. my childhood java yes well see that's the point is to ruin my childhood. There, there is no way for you to become a fully realized adult without having everything that you love stamped into the ground. Just ask Dome. <laughs> They're doing Beauty and the Beast. They've done Footloose. All they have to ruin is the Breakfast Club, and I'm done. I'm done with life. <laughs> it is a tough life. Oh, know. dear, the Breakfast Club. How would we ever ruin that? Yeah. Let's see. It exists. Wait. See, uh, white person problems, I think. <laughs> white person uh, problems! <laughs> That's the best! Oh, it kills me. Speaking of white, worse, white person problems, though, I am really upset. And I'm upset because apparently the working title for the Star Wars live-action television show is going to be Star Wars Underworld. Oh, no. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So, Star Wars plus Kate Beckinsale? There's going to be vampires and werewolves. I mean, oh. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of force vampires. Yes, you you know what I'm talking about, Uber nerds. But um, <laughs> I'm just not quite sure that that I'm okay with that that, that title. Wow, that's scary. Squeak. You know, interestingly, Star Trek uh, came up in hard science this week. The last X Prize was to get. A manned ship into orbit that was uh, privately funded. The next X Prize is to build the tricorder. I know $10 it looks million dollars. Oh, that's totally doable. I think that'll happen in the next five years. Men. There are already companies that are using the iPhone as a basis for that technology. Yeah, absolutely. And putting, and putting um, basically little add-ons to it to do all kinds of sensing. I just saw one the other day. That does um, heart rate and blood pressure. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah, hospitals are like all over that shit because you know, awesome. And it goes right into their central database, so there's no like, oh shit, did I put in the right number? Typo. Oops, actually, you don't have high blood pressure. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, it's it's that's coming. I and one of the things that I can see 
pretty quickly happening is um, these labs on a chip that that'll interface with those kinds of systems. Yeah, too. absolutely. Because those those things are just going at a breakneck pace. I've seen probably in the past two years, I've seen a dozen of them that are ready for production. So I mean, we're 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 at the at the point where there's going to be a huge revolution in medical science. I think. And it's going to be fucking awesome. Um, yeah, as long as we can get up off of our lazy asses and, like, walk. And yeah, like somebody who Walking makes- so <laughs> overrated. Why walk when you can have a Segway? Okay, next person who imitates the sound effects is getting a knitting needle through the monitor. Careful. I dare you. What else is going? And you know what else feels like a knitting needle through the the, the face? It's <laughs> it's that Fox has announced the end of Fringe. This oh, is a very sad day. Really Here's my is. thing with this though. I feel like for the first time, Fox is stopping something where it needs to be stopped. Okay, how many how many seasons does Fringe have now? Four? This is Five? Six? Six? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I feel like they let it have its run and they let it have its time. It got and really close to, you know... It's going to start to get... Terrible. It got close to seven seasons in a movie, so really, really, let's leave it alone. Yeah, but, but our but, problem but, but, is wah. that this is a really good show. And there aren't that many really good shows on anymore. But you know what? Fringe has had six years to be a really good show. That's as long as some Star Treks have had. Okay. That's the standard we, run for a Star Trek. Yeah. We no, are seven is. Keep really good shows on and too long, they become really bad shows really, really fast. And we don't want to see that happen to Fringe. Even though I stopped that, watching it in season three. But let's put things into perspective. We're talking about Fox. Yeah. Yeah. That's seriously. True. Fox has kept Fringe on for an unbelievably long time. And it's an expensive show. That show has so much production work going into it yep. that, that, I mean, that's an expensive show. And that's basically what they're saying. It's a really expensive show. It's, it's hard for us to make money on it. And if we're losing money, we have to figure out a way to stop losing money. Um, the problem is that they haven't, like, said it's done and the executives haven't made a hard decision, so the producers don't know what to do. Do they make a series finale? Do they do they hedge their bets and wait and and hope that they're going to limp along for a little while longer? Who knows? I think that they just need to make a decision and then allow the producers to finish. Yeah, that's kind of a mean thing to do there because at least give the producers enough time to like wrap everything up. Just tell them. It's almost Eureka mean. Yeah, oh, well, Eureka was extra mean because it seemed like they were renewed for another season and they're like, actually, just kidding now. Yeah. That was even worse. But speaking of sci-fi and good shows to watch now that you're not going to get to watch Fringe anymore, double segue. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Let me see where you're going with it first. Sci-fi has got two things. Okay, first of all, you said it wrong, so you get this one. Yeah, it's Sippy. Sippy. Come on. Sippy has two shows that are either recently premiered or are premiering soon that are both absolutely wonderful. The first is their original reality show, Face Off, which is a um, makeup comp- and special effects competition. And we watched the first episode today, and it's phenomenal. So much it's- fun to watch how 
these things come about. Like, and it's really cool seeing the end products too. Yeah, it really is. It's a very, it's one of the best reality shows they do. And, and they have some judges with some serious street cred. Serious mm-hmm. cred, like absolutely. The makeup artist from Beetlejuice. Um, yeah, that stands out a little. Like Oscar award-winning makeup artists. I did notice that two of the three judges are right now working on Hunger Games, which I think is awesome because it re- that movie's going to require some phenomenal makeup. But I was like, wow, <laughs> does the same production company own the Hunger Games and Siffy? I think it might be true. Hard to believe. <laughs> Gee. And the second show that Siffy has is going to premiere on Monday for the second time in its show life because it's already premiered in Canada. And My it's further proof that favorite. Canada is awesome and it's yeah. Lost Girl. Oh, I got to tell you, this is my favorite show. It really is. It's is it classy. Of <laughs> Anna Silk is to die for. She's just a terrific actress. She's great scripts, good shooting. Which would be nothing without the Kenzinator. Yeah, yeah. Kenzie's pretty damn good. Kenzie <laughs> makes that show. Anna Silk would be nothing without the support of. Her co-star there. This it's a really good cast. Yeah, totally. Shut up. Really good cast. (laughs) Now I'm gonna find it. (laughs) You'll just shout it out in the middle of the show. It'll be yeah. In about five minutes, we're gonna hear Kenzie's real name is. Five minutes. Try two minutes. And it's also got really great tight story writing. It's Um, oh my god, she's really Russian. Ksenia Solo. mm Mm-hmm. Ksenia? Is that how you even say that? Ksenia, yeah. Oh my god, she's hot. (laughs) And this... The storylines are very tight. It's a phenomenal show, and I'm so glad that it's come to the U.S. Oh, she's Latvian. And then I believe they're gonna show it um, unedited, right? I know. That that somehow makes her hotter. What was that question? I met... I met somebody from Latvia the other uh, couple of months ago. <laughs> okay, was, you're on to interesting. Cool she was also in Black Swan, FYI. Yep. Right. She was also in Life Unexpected, the TV okay, series. Okay, it. Stop. Why? Are they going to show Lost Girl without editing it for a U.S. audience? Are they going to run it? I do it? not know yet. I haven't Woo. heard anybody, and I'm going to watch it, and I'm either going to be incredibly happy or incredibly pissed. Because unedited, as it aired in Canada, this show is phenomenal. Do you really think they can do that, though? Because there's so lots of strippers and sex and graphicness. Hello. It's <laughs> awesome. Lots of lesbians. Um, well, I'm yeah, saying I'm complaining. There's Zoe Palmer, who plays Lauren, too. I mean, and she's, she's pretty smoking. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> Dear all women of Lost Girl, you are hot. <laughs> also, Trick is awesome and... Yeah, he's he's pretty freaking awesome. Oh, oh, wait, what about the woman that plays the Morgan, too? She's pretty awesome. They are as awesome as Unicorn Poop Cookies, but Unicorn Poop Cookies are my new obsession. I found them about an hour, the recipe about an hour ago, and I had to find somewhere to share it, and this was it. Um, They're basically sugar cookies with tons 
and tons of um, sparkles and food coloring. And you can make these unicorn poops yourself by following the link that will be on the show page. So tell me, tell me before we do this, what makes a unicorn poop cookie? It's a rainbow colored cookie shaped like poop covered with (laughs) glitter, edible glitter and star shaped sprinkles. These, they really do have to be seen to be believed. Are you bringing them to the Halloween party this year? I will so bring them to the Halloween party this year. <laughs> and will you dress as a unicorn? That would possibly be the most amazing idea ever. I Is think it as amazing as the Darth? <laughs> and I'll bring the cookies to complete your outfit. I'm going to have to share a comic with you in a second. <laughs> uh, have, it, the only question is, are the unicorn poop cookies as awesome as the Darth Vader burger? They've probably got about the same amount of food coloring in them. <laughs> <laughs> the Darth Vader burger is uh, is a hamburger at a chain of restaurants in France that has a, a chain, which will remain unspecified. Well, I, I think it is a French chain of restaurants. I think it's right? McDonald's. No, it's not. Um, really? McDonald's. Uh, but it's... Wow, well, thanks, a, Dome. It's Thank got you. a black bun. Everything in, the, in it is the same. But it's got a black bun. And you're right. I don't even know. It, it's like a, a an inordinate amount of food coloring to make that... Oh, I think it's <laughs> called Quick. The I think the the restaurant's called Quick. Right. Right. But correct. So, Are yeah. you sure? Okay. okay. Well, I, I that's what it says on the ad, but the in the article it says L'Express, which means pretty much the same thing. But it means quick in they, French. No, no L'Express is, is, is a blog, silly. L'Express is the like paper. paper. Oh, right. You're right. You read <laughs> and I didn't. I just saw Who something in red and thought, sources? that's important. Jeez. <laughs> um, but that looks pretty cool, right? I would eat it. I would eat the yoga, the Yoda one, but probably not the Darth Vader one. I would eat the I just have both. a problem with a dark side burger. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So course, Stan, I, Lee's, Stan Lee's biography is coming out. That was, that was like, like the, the worst, worst segue, segue ever. ever. Thank you. That's what I wanted, the worst segue noise. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You are, you are it, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a biography, right? It's a, it's a documentary. A bio, it's biographical documentary. Biographical documentary, and it's going to enter out at uh, SX, SXSW. South by Southwest, Southwest how you say that. No, yeah. South by Southwest is going to premiere Cabin in the Woods. The Stan Lee story is going to uh, Sundance. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I looked at the wrong thing. You're absolutely right. And again, right. you're your eyes crossed. crossed. That's checking. No, no he just got, got his, his eyes crossed. crossed. Yeah. yeah no, uh, that, that, it actually looks really interesting, but I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of Marvel movie pimping. No way. Oh, baby, baby Marvel. Marvel. <laughs> Stan never does that. 
Stan is like the captain. Oh my god! Oh my god! Challenge any artist to this. Marvel babies, do it. Challenge issue. I would buy sketch cards of those. I would. I would too. Where's our sketch card guy? Whoa! Yeah, 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 yeah. Tyler James. Tyler James. You're on notice. Marvel babies. Okay, okay, now I'm thinking about Sci-Fi Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Babies. Sci-Fi Saturday, Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Babies, guys. I, would, I will buy a sketch card set of the Fantastic Four <laughs> in baby version. Oh, She-Hulk. I have $20. With Nanny's stockings standing in the background, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> That's the best. What a great idea. Challenge, Challenge issued, issued any, any artist, artist listening, listening to this, this podcast. podcast. You're on notice. Submit your entries. You know what? We should have a contest at Boston Comic Con. <gasps> we should. We should. What, what should it be? be? For the best, for the best super, superhero baby sketch. Winner we, gets we'll our undying love and gratitude. No, no we can come, come up with, with a prize, prize for that. that. We can come up with a prize for that. I'll, I'll find a prize for that. Um, and it'll go to the artist, and we'll take votes at Boston Comic-Con. Yes! I'll even write up, even write up a blog post detailing the contest. Woohoo! Yes, yes, and, and, and submissions can go to sci-fi co at sci-fi co.org or Kriana at sci-fi saturdaynight.com. And the winner will receive a Plantronics K1000 in-car Bluetooth speakerphone. And maybe something else. And, and whatever we got, got our pocket time, time, which actually could, could be cool. Could be great. Cool. Could, could be cool. cool. You never Especially know. Just don't ask him going into his pocket for anything. That's exactly what I pulled out of my pocket. Now, Speaking of Comic Con, we've got a couple minutes left, and so did you see that? In order to get to San Diego Comic Con, you have to pre-register. There will be no ticket sales. At the door um, anymore, yeah. And there's no like at the when tickets go on sale, there's no I'm gonna buy tickets because they're on sale now. You have to pre-order. Damn, Damn, that's ridiculous, and that just shows you how big a deal San Diego Comic Con has gotten. It's, it's not, not just, just that, that they, they can, can do it; it's, it's just, just that they kind of have, have to. Yeah, they have that's, no other I choice. I have a feeling they're... it's a safety issue at this point. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Well, they've been talking about moving it for years, and the San Diego people don't want to move it. They want to keep it, you know, it's unwieldingly big now, but to move it to L.A. would be ridiculous. Yeah, but you know what? I think that that's part of the thrill, and one of these days, I'm going to go. Yeah, we one, all of one of these days, days we'll, we'll all go, go together. together. Oh, that would be amazing. Actually, my, my plan for this year is to actually go to Gen Con. I'm going to do that. Cool. cool. Well, my plan was to go to Dragon Con, but I don't know if I can make that happen. I'd love to this year. Yeah, yeah Dream on. on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dream of those cosplayers and... Hello. Ew. Ew. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, right. don't be gross. gross. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Ew. Ew. Which brings us to the halfway point of the show. <laughs> the point at which we apologize for Dome. 
And <laughs> move on to our guest, who this week is Reese and Nelson. Uh, uh, Reese, are you there? The show. Reese, I'm here. Thank you so much. Oh, there you are. Sweet. Do you have an applause sound effect? I we, feel like we, we don't. Need one for when the guest comes on. Well, well if, if you find, find one, one that, that is podcast safe. Let me know. Let me know. Just play something right now. Um. Here, I'll create one. Who is, Who is that, that at the door? door? It's, it's Reese Nelson! Nelson! Hooray! Hooray! Okay, okay, that's, that's all I got. got. <laughs> <laughs> Reese, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And you're here because book two is about to come out in your trilogy. Um, it actually is out, but only from my publisher. It should be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other sites any day now. And book two is called The Iron Maiden. The Iron Maiden. Which X has been saying all week is what a Motley Crue song. <laughs> I don't know about that. Ah. So let's talk about what's changed in the universe. Okay. Oh, you want me to tell you? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when we left the last book, Astrid had found her true family and the world had kind of fallen apart for her. Mm -hmm. And now her, the love of her life was dead and she's alone in the world to become a dragon slayer on her own. And now where are we? Well, what happens is that she gets kind of a call to adventure She's told, you know, now that you're a dragon slayer, there is this duty that you're responsible for. And that is that dragons migrate. During the winter, they leave the Northlands, which is where Astrid lives, and they travel down south to other countries. And she, she's told, your responsibility is basically to follow them around and protect other people. And Astrid's point of view is, wait a minute. I'm from the Northlands. You're telling me to go to other countries to protect people who could come here and attack my country and maybe kill people I love? I don't think so. I just don't see the point in that. So she essentially refuses her duty. And she says, you know what? I'm a blacksmith. I think there's nothing better than to spend the winter blacksmithing, surrounded by all of this wonderful heat and forging iron and doing the things that I love. So, you know, just forget about this, my duty is to go elsewhere idea. And then what happens is there's a merchant who comes along to her village and essentially has a beef with her, has a problem with her. And it looks like he steals the sword that is her most precious possession. It's the first sword she ever made. She made it for her sweetheart, who's now dead, and that's her link to him. And so when she finds this sword missing, she goes off in search of it because she has to get it back. And she figures, oh, well, you know, I'll catch up with him in a few hours and I'll be home in time for dinner. And in fact, what happens is that 
she ends up in a situation that takes her to other countries where she has to deal with foreigners. And that experience changes her. Okay. So, this is a girl who's gone through a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. And she began... One of the things that I really liked was the link between the insubstantial nature of their physicality in the first book, Mm -hmm. how they could change the way they looked, how they could change what she did, and how they could do the things that they wanted to do. Um, There was a character, and I wish I could remember her name, who uh, everybody hated, and at the uh, the one with the without any feet. That's Lenore. Right. Does she reappear in this book? She does. Um, she is in the beginning, and she's in the end, and she stays in Astrid's mind. So even though she's off stage for a lot of the book, she actually plays a very important role in the second book. So, what else is happening? Okay, we talk about her love, Di Stefan, who is, plays a big part in the second book, which is kind of interesting. He actually plays an important role throughout the entire series. So, even though he's dead, He's still around, and even though she can't see him or hear him, he finds ways to make his presence known to her and to communicate with her. And in in fact, this is one of the things that I really explore a lot in book two, is the idea of communication when you don't have language or you don't share the same language. So De Stefan does it as a ghost. He finds ways to be there and communicate with Astrid throughout book two. And then when Astrid goes through to these foreign countries, there is one really important character who comes into her life and they never are able to speak the same language throughout the entire novel. One is that Astrid just doesn't have the knack for picking up another language. And so she's able to pick up, you know, maybe two or three words here and there. But that's really the best that she can do. And this other person is just doesn't really understand that, I think. And I I think the other person assumes that Astrid is, is lazy or doesn't want to. And so the other person is just stubborn and doesn't try to learn Astrid's language. (laughs) But they still communicate. Right. There's the whole concept of communication runs deeply through this book. It's the kind of thing where you wonder how she's going to deal with villagers, how she's going to deal with the dragons, how she's going to deal with the people she knows and loves. And it's all all about communication at this point. 
Yeah, and that's something that I'm really fascinated with. Um, when I was in college, I took one course in speech and communication. And the one thing that I still remember to this day from that course is the teacher saying that studies have shown that 90% of what we say is misinterpreted or misunderstood. And I find that stunning. Mm. And I think it's probably true. You make an allegory between communication and building a sword. Is allegory, allegory really, really the word, the word you, you want to use, use there? I don't know, is it? Hint, hint no. no. Okay, what's the word I want to use? Maybe, Maybe a, metaphor? a metaphor? I don't know. I don't know if metaphor is the word. You, at we? one point... At one point, you talk about her learning the language of fire and iron, mastering the art of the flame and paying attention to the different colors. And you really talk about her building the sword and learning to work the iron as another language. Yeah, and that came from personal experience because I thought, you know, if I'm going to write about a woman who's a blacksmith, I need to get some experience. And I took a course in blacksmithing. And so all of that comes from personal experience. I, I took a 10-week course where every class was four hours at the anvil hammering iron or steel. And one of the things that we had to learn was to read the color of the iron and what it meant we could do with it. And so, you know, that ranges from, you know, black when it's absolutely cold to kind of a yellow, whitish color where the iron starts giving off sparks. It's almost like a sparkler on the 4th of July. And when it reaches that color, basically what it's telling you is, I am ruined. You have ruined me and there is nothing that you can do. Oops. Oops. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and that happened to me once. Um, I, one of the assignments that we got was to make a pair of tongs because blacksmiths usually, usually make their own tools that they use. You know, you make the tool to fit your hand and you make it the weight that you want it and you basically um, customize it for yourself. And so in one class, we made one half of the tongs. And in the second class, we were going to make the second half and then rivet them together. And in the first class, I made this fabulous, wonderful, wonderful piece. And at the end of the class, I thought, this is just going to be great. I'm going to have the best pair of tongs and I can use them during the rest of the course. And then I can keep them and they'll be wonderful. And then in the next class, for some reason, everything went wrong. It's like I really was good at building fires. And for some reason, my fire wasn't building the way that it normally did. It was, it was inconsistent. The smoke wasn't really coming out right. The colors were weird. And I just kept working with it until I, I thought I had it at a point where I could go ahead and heat the iron. And so I would put my iron in and wait for it to heat. And by, by then, I had a pretty good idea of how long it took. And I would take the iron out and it wouldn't be hot enough. So I'd have to put it back in and wait for it to heat up some more. And this went on for a few iterations. 
finally, I got so impatient that I took this attitude of, I'll show you. I'm going to leave you in the fire for a really long time, and then you'll get hot enough for me to work with you. And I did that, and I overheated the iron, and when I took it out and I saw the color and it started sparking, I just thought, I have lost my pair of tongs. I am not going to have a pair of tongs. The first half was perfect. The second half is ruined. I have lost my time. I can't recover. It's just gone. And so what happened was, months later, I was riding the Dragon Slayer sword. Um, and I knew that I wanted to have this scene where Astrid was having a bad day. You know, everything was going wrong and she was getting frustrated. And then all of a sudden I thought, I'll, I'll use my tong experience. You know, that really bad day where nothing went right and I overheated the iron. And so that scene in the novel comes directly from the course that I took in blacksmithing. Wow. So cool. <laughs> it's now, you took, that, you took that course in Worcester, didn't you, at the uh, Armory Museum? No, actually, this was at Sturbridge Village. And at the time that I took it, it was for, I think it was like the Worcester Center for the Arts or something like that. I don't know if they still exist or not. But it was a fabulous course. It was so much fun. Triana, can we go? If, if you, you want. want. Yes. <laughs> it's really, really fun. And, and one thing that I absolutely loved was that, of course, all of my classmates were big, gigantic, burly men who were twice my size. And one of the things I had to do was to figure out how to keep up with them, which I did by the end of the course. But by the time the course was over, my forearms were like rocks. They were rock solid. They have never been so strong in my life. And I would just go around, you know, showing people my forearms and saying, touch my muscles, just touch them, see how hard they are. <laughs> so there's a lot of Astrid in you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of passion in the book about the iron, about the the sense of purpose that she has in herself and the people around her as well. Yeah, and I, I think like if I really want to do something, and if it's something that speaks to me, and blacksmithing did, um, I will really throw myself into it with my whole heart. And the irony with blacksmithing is that after I took the course, I found out that I come from a long line of blacksmiths. And that Seriously? Are, yeah, and that there are currently three generations in my family who are blacksmithing right now. So it really makes me wonder if this was some form of like genetic memory or racial memory or, or whatever. <laughs> But Very I was, well could be, yeah. I'm really drawn to it. And like one of the things that I talk about that I, when I write about Astrid is how much she loves the fire and she loves the heat. And that comes directly from me. I'm a summer girl. I thrive in the summer. I need to be in the sunlight. I need heat. And winters can get hard for me to get through. So, you know, I'm with Astrid. You know, if, if I had a choice, I would want to be in, in blacksmithing all winter long and be surrounded by flames. Did you learn anything else from the book? Like, did you decide to do anything else as a practical application before you wrote about it? 
Um, well, I did do the um, study of using medieval and even Renaissance weapons, which was really useful. And that was at the Higgins Armory Museum. So I, I started out with a basic course in German longsword, and then I dabbled in a, you know, like a little experience with a few other weapons um, using dagger, using sword and buckler, um, a little bit of Italian rapier and dagger, um, a little bit of halberd. Um, there's a, a man there who is an expert in Viking weapons, but this is a lot of speculation because there there really isn't specific information about how Vikings used weapons in, in terms of specific um, techniques or instructions, um, like there are with medieval and Renaissance weapons. Um, and that actually influenced Book 2 a lot because when I, I went to the Higgins Armory Museum, I ended up joining the Sword Guild and I ended up becoming a weapons demonstrator at the museum. But what I, I really worked with a lot were the manuals that were written in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance by people who were weapons masters, which I had no idea even existed. Um, but the idea was that during those times, there were people who were teachers. Um, like, if, if you lived in the Middle Ages, you had to defend yourself. You know, there weren't any police around, and they were dangerous times, and you would be foolish not to know how to use a weapon. And there were people who developed their own techniques and became experts, and they would teach people their techniques. And these weapons masters ended up writing books about their own techniques. They're almost like how-to books because they have really specific instructions and then tons and tons and tons of illustrations to show you what they're talking about. But, you know, because these books were written like, you know, the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, um, they're not that easy to understand. So what you have to do is first translate it from the original language into English, and then you have to kind of decipher it to figure out exactly what they're talking about. And so that's what sword guilds do. They work with these manuals and try to figure out what the instructions mean. And when I was writing the first book, I thought, well, you know, this, this doesn't really relate a lot to killing a dragon, because if you were fighting an animal, the way that you would use a weapon would be really different. But when I wrote book two, I actually ended up basing one of the new characters on one of these weapons masters. And then I actually do have um, some scenes in the book where people are learning weapons techniques. And that's based on my experience at the Higgins Museum. I just think that's so awesome that you actually like physically got into learning how your characters would do things instead of just reading, you know, studying it or reading about it or looking at a picture the fact that you actually have physically experienced what your characters are experiencing, at least in some way, is really, really neat. Thank you. You know, I think of it as physical research because, you know, I, I will do like library research. But if there's, any, if there's any way that I can do physical research, I want to do that because it gives you a completely different perspective and a completely different kind of knowledge. And what I end up doing is that I think I draw a lot more from my physical research than I do from my library research. 
so book two comes out this week on Amazon? I don't know. It's it's available on my publisher's website right now. If you go to my website, there are links to it. And it should be coming out on Amazon literally any day now. I don't know if it's going to be this week or next week or the week after, but it should be really soon. And book three. Book this two. is part of a th trilogy, correct? This is actually a four-book series. Oh, I stand corrected. I just saw that. <laughs> um, book three is coming out probably early summer, and I'm writing the last chapters of the final book right now. So you're no spoilers. No, absolutely no spoilers. <laughs> Don't want to know. Definitely want to read it, especially because I was so caught up in the first book so well. Oh, thank you. But how long has this journey been on this four-book story arc for you? Um, I would say, considering everything, which is including the fact that all of this started out as one short story that was published. And when that story was published, I thought that was the end of it. Um, including the short story, it's been probably 22 years or 23 years. With the novels alone, I'd say about 10 years, I think. Now, the short stories are the Dragon Slayer stories that are available as a download. Exactly, yeah. And those appeared last week on Fiction Friday, and our listeners can go to the website and download those stories, which, by the way, are really cool. Thank you. They're very short little vignettes, and they're kind of interesting insights into little individual things. It, it's hard to explain what it is in the context of this whole thing. Yeah, and originally what happened was that I wrote the first short story, and then I thought, well, you know, maybe I wonder if I could write more short stories in this world, and I tried another one, and that was published, and then I just kind of forgot about it. And then when I wrote the novels, I wanted to bring those stories into the first novel, and I had to figure out, you know, how I could weave them in, and that was a really interesting process. And what happened was that I think in the second story, I, I cut out probably about half of the short story. So I and because that one is about Lenore, I mm -hmm. think reading the short story gives you a, a, a lot more information about her character and her background. It's very, very interesting and very intricate. And one of the hallmarks of this whole series is the detail, the incredible detail that you put in the intricacy of the work. It's really, really marvelous. I really appreciate that. It really shows in the work you do. Book two in this series is called The Iron Maiden. We're going to have links to the website and hopefully links to Amazon when it's available for you to pick it up read it. This is an incredibly enjoyable series and I'm now looking forward to book three. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. At this point, I would normally say, X, 
but he's not here. We miss, miss you. you. Oh, oh shoot. shoot, I didn't I say, say I was going to do that, that, didn't I? I? What, was what was I thinking? thinking? I have no idea. It's time! I'm going to be right for the coming, coming up calendar! calendar. Um, hello, coming, coming up calendar. calendar. Okay, okay, here we, here we go. go. Oh, oh man, do we, do have, we have a treat? treat. On, On January 21st, 21st we, have we have the legendary, legendary artist Ben, ben Templesmith, co-creator of 30 Days, Days of Night, Night and, and featured, featured Boston Common guest. guest. I'd like to also, also mention, mention, in addition to this, this lovely, lovely entry that I put up, up he has also, also done, done art for Doctor Who, he has, he has his, his own series called Wormwood Gentleman Corpse, and just, 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 just awesome. Cool stuff. Also, also on, on January 28th, actor, actor Doug, Doug Jones, Jones, he's, he's Abe, Abe Sapien, a fun, and, and, and a mime. mime! That's all, That's I, all got. I got. That's you enough! The other stuff? Oh! oh. I thought, I thought you, you had, had that. that. Okay, okay, so, so besides besides Saturday, Saturday is, is the official podcast of um, Boston Comic-Con. And Comic Art House, house your, your source, source for, for all of your, your comic art. art. Damn it, it's just not good. This is Damn it. Sorry, guys. All of which is coming up in the very near future. This is true. We butchered this very Yeah, yeah, so our end theme is. By, by Rob, Rob Watts. Watts. I don't, I don't even remember his website. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> we'll do this better next time, X, because you'll be here. We I want to thank you. the usual suspects tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and Grammar Girls on And thank you, ladies. See you, See you later. later. Night. From Outpost Gallifrey, our gaming editor, Java. Thank you, my friend. Science. <laughs> He's drunk, drunk now. That's, that's the difference. difference. Mm-hmm. Oh, our. Oh boy. Hold on. Where am I? Okay. Oh, oh man, man, we suck tonight. tonight. <laughs> I know we do. We really do. Tonight's show is in loving memory of Wolfie Belanger. This is Dome saying, "Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased." Thus do we all refute entropy. I would kill for a time warp right now. Good night, everyone.